So over the weekend or Friday, Silicon Valley Bank went under. Uh, you know, there were signs in the in the run up to it. They didn't have sufficient capital, and they had you know moved a ton of money into the bonds market because interest rates had gone up, and there was a, a short run last week. They had to start selling bonds, but those were at around three percent rate. Uh, but the current interest rate is around seven percent, so they were losing money on these bonds. And uh, over the weekend, uh, of course, when we they, say they, they were losing down. money, it sure wasn't the bank executives that were losing money. Certainly. Yeah. yeah, the CEO ended up selling three million worth of stock right before the bank shutdown. That's just great. And That's business sense. That's how they're in that position in the first place, but they're able to make those, That's just those kinds of calls. Sense. That's why he's there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and that led to a lot of questions around you know, how do they respond to this? Because ninety three percent or so of the accounts were beyond the FDIC threshold uh, for insurance of two hundred and fifty thousand. And a lot of these accounts were tech startups, you know, tech companies, um, ver- just various Silicon Valley uh, institutions had their money there. And over the weekend, we saw the financial and tech elite demanding that the FDIC, Treasury, the Fed cover 100% of depositors' accounts well beyond the the standard 250 threshold. And that ended up happening last night. And now they said every depositor is going to be covered in full. Investors will not, uh, which is, I guess, a silver lining to this situation. But in response to their failure, this is, I think, you'd be uniquely situated to talk about, your potential opponent in, in the election, Josh Hawley, is blaming wokeness. Now, when you see this as somebody who is running as a populist and you have been, you know, for for the past two cycles now been talking about issues of uh, Wall Street, income inequality, financial inequality and economic justice. How does that strike you when you see the senator from your state blaming Wall Street and Silicon Valley and, and financial sector greed on wokeness? I mean, it's nutty, right? And I actually think the thing that um, probably irritates me the most is that the mainstream media gives these guys the label populist. Because for me, being a populist is empowering everyday people against a a system that's broken and doesn't work for them, right? Like, and here this guy is, uh, deflect, 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 and wants to keep the system how it is, right? He supported the deregulation of the banks in 2018. I mean, he's down with that. And, and his solution is like, oh, well, we can't do ESG. Uh, you know, we can't let people have ethical um, investing because that'll bring down the system. I'm trying to say that. Like, that's not even what happened here. The guy's a liar and he should know better. His dad is a bank president. Like, this is a banking family we're talking about. He knows the bond situation. He knows they overinvested in long-term holds with lower yields and that they weren't they didn't have enough liquidity and uh, you only need to read like one article on you know yahoo or bloomberg to know that yourself but uh, again he's all about deregulating the banks he's not about actually doing something to help everyday people or empower us against the system that's not working for us and like we were talking about like uh when regular people get hurt, man, nobody comes to bail you out. When my family went bankrupt when I was a kid, the only people that came for us were folks in the neighborhood who said who had no more money than we did, right? It wasn't country club Republicans on the other side of town like Josh Hawley. And when I was a Marine, so I was a Marine for 13 years. I deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. And when I got back from Iraq, uh, it was in 2009 during the financial crisis, 
Marine after Marine came into my office uh, and had lost their homes while they were deployed, were being foreclosed on illegally by these same sort of big banks. And, uh, and they just violated the Service Member Civil Relief Act with impunity and, uh, and will just do anything to increase their ballot sheet against little people. So, you know, for me, uh, like if you're going to be a real populist, you're going to stand up for people like those Marines. You're going to stand up for everyday folks against this system. And Josh Hawley won't do that. And let's talk to you about these depositors. Like normal people don't have more than $250,000 just sitting around in an account, right? And uh, so like normal people are okay here. We're talking about, you know, venture capitalists, massive corporations who should know how to manage risk. So when we bail them out, we're bailing out people who should understand how to manage risk. Like that's part of their job. They chose not to do it because it was cheaper for them. They accepted the risk uh, because, you know, they thought that that was a cost savings for them. They were trying to convert risk into profit. Well, in this case, the risk was risk. And uh, and now, well, I mean, apparently it wasn't because we're going to bail them out. Uh, but for me, like I want to take care of people's payrolls, but I really don't like this idea of just covering everybody's deposits for two reasons. One, you're dep- like once you do that, you guarantee every deposit in the entire country. And now these guys can play as risky as they want all the time because they know the government's going to come in. And two, these same companies are laying off people like in force right now. So like, why are we going to give them a bunch of money while they're laying people off? And then they're just going to pocket for them, pocket for you know, pocket for them for themselves, their shareholders, whatever else. And I'm talking about depositors here, right? Most people, when they think of depositors, they think of like their grandma going down to the bank. Uh, but this is big businesses that aren't necessarily even paying a lot of payroll. They're cutting their payrolls right now. So you know, I'm down with protecting people's payroll, but like we should call this what it is: it's a bailout, and it's and it's and it's encouraging the financial system to continue to take risks that they shouldn't take. Yeah, I mean, when you criticize this, when you call it a bailout, and people then kind of point out the way that, you know, what regular people are kind of have their money tied up in this as well, or retirement funds and people that have nothing to do with the big gambling. And all that is true, but I think that really outlines the way that average people, average working people are kind of held hostage in this system so that these like big players can just basically uh, enjoy themselves in in this casino with zero risk when they know that full well that whenever they do mess up, the government's going to come in and cover their losses. Um, and they're always going to be able to use the the working people and the way that average people lose in these big crashes as a way to shield themselves from, from responsibility. But like you said, this kind of no when they know full well that they're going to get bailed out, it incentivizes all the same bad behavior. Um, you know, it goes back going all the way back to the, the uh, financial crash in 08 where really not a lot of the corruption and the terrible behavior uh, on the part of these big firms ever really was dealt with. The reforms that were there have been kind of repealed and what none of these people learned anything. It's all the same people in the same banks making the same decisions now. And we're still seeing That's this right. kind of the volatility right. because of it. And this is why, you know, in my, in my campaign, you know, when, like if Josh Hawley were a real populist, he, he wouldn't be focusing on wokeness that has nothing to do with this. He would be focusing on the bank executives that lobbied Congress, his buddies, to uh, to undo the regulations in, in Dodd-Frank, right? I mean, he shouldn't, He but he doesn't want to say anything about that. Because again, his dad's bank president, and he thinks this is cool, right? Like, in my opinion, we need to go back to Glass-Steagall. There were generations, that, like, generations ago, Americans realized that financiers 
are just going to chase profit and they're going to convert risk into profit, like risk to other people into profit whenever they get the opportunity. And so our forefathers, they came up with a bunch of ways to regulate them and make sure they couldn't do that and protect everyday people. And then we let money creep so heavily into politics and just take the entire thing over uh, that now, uh, you know, all of those protections are gone. This isn't a new thing. Like, like it's really sad that we have to learn this not just every decade, but this is something that we learned, like, again, literal, literal generations ago. And uh, and we have let money and politics corrupt things so much that we're just, you know, we're facing the same problems all over again, despite the fact that we all know that they're there. In my opinion, like, we need to go back uh, to how it was. We need to make it, we need to pass laws so that banks can't have PACs. Like, why should a financial institution have a political action committee so that they can buy off politicians. I think that's crazy. I don't think bank executives should be allowed to lobby, especially not big ones, maybe some credit unions or something, but like big banks shouldn't be able to lobby. And like, here's a real twist, right? Um, SVB was the 16th biggest bank in the country, 16th biggest. And they lobbied so that protections or so that regulations on big banks wouldn't affect them. Like, who do you even, who are you even regulating if the 16th biggest bank in the entire country isn't regulated, right? Like, that's crazy that that's not considered a big bank, uh, but they have too much political control and power. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of real things that we could propose here. But again, like these fake populists, they don't want to do that. They just want to, you know, rile people up and, and hook up their buddies in the dark. Right. People have condemned the, the, the wokeness hysteria on the right as what it is it's a it's a distraction from the elites robbing you blind and you know that seems to play well or it's portrayed as playing well in middle america but i'm curious how or what you hear in missouri when you talk to people about these issues because to some democrats and some democrats in the media they would dismiss your platform or things that you're saying as too extreme, you need to you need to run in the middle for this campaign. But you're not doing that. You're you're talking about issues that affect people's material needs. And to some people, to some pundits, that's too extreme for a Democrat, especially in Missouri, to run on. So when you talk about these issues to people in your state, are they saying, "No, no, we need to focus on trans people instead. We need to get the wokeness out of the banks," or are they saying, "Hey, thanks for ta- thanks for looking after us, like the working person." I'm curious just what those conversations are like in Missouri. Yeah, well, so, uh, well, first of all, it's easy for me to talk to Missourians because I grew up in a small town in Missouri. You know, m- my family was paycheck to paycheck. We went bankrupt from medical bills when my little sister had to have heart surgeries. You know, I mentioned that when we were on hard times, the way we made it was people in our neighborhood coming by. Like, that's sadly, and this is messed up, but that's the average life in Missouri, right? Like, well, like <laughs> when people here protected up to $250,000. They're like, well, how could that ever even be me for the average person, right? People don't have savings here. And so, and so it's because people like Josh Hawley have been, you know, selling off to the highest bidder and letting them strip our communities for parts and take away our opportunity. And so, you know, when they hear, like, the thing is about him is he's so like weird and creepy that it gives us a real opportunity because he just does like, Again, he does this this just weird stuff. Like he's got this book coming out called Manhood, trying to tell everybody how to be a man and how you need to be like made in his own image and how like women in the workforce are the problem for masculinity. And it's just like people people don't understand like that just comes across as crazy, right? That's just like they think, you know, if if you if you think you're the guy to write a book about what it means to be a man, then you shouldn't be writing a book about what it means to be a man, right? Like it's just it makes absolutely no sense at all. And so um, so he gives us a unique opportunity to talk about the fake populism, talk about how he's not actually doing anything, 
you know, I'll give you another example with the guy. Um, everybody's probably familiar with East Palestine, the uh, the train derailment in Ohio, um, you know, affecting water, air, everything like that. And, you know, so he gets up the second that comes out and he's like, shame, they need to, we need to protect everybody. And then he forgets about it, right? Well, let's talk about what Josh Hawley actually does in these situations. So he was our attorney general um, elected in 2016. The first thing that he did when he became our attorney general was he uh, got rid of our environmental, our environmental protection division in the attorney general's office. That's the one who would go after a Norfolk Southern type uh, accident here in Missouri. Then when he got into the U.S. Senate, he encouraged the Trump administration to undo the EPA waterway regulations um, that would have gone after e Norfolk Southern at the uh, national level. And then he took a bunch of money from Norfolk Southern into his leadership pack. And so, you know, what Missourians don't like is they don't like corrupt politicians who don't care about the state and don't, don't understand how we live. And we showed that like in 2016, right, when Donald Trump won by 17 points here, Jason Kander, another veteran like me, was running against a guy named Roy Blunt, whose wife was a corporate lobbyist, whose all three of his kids were corporate lobbyists. And running on that message, um, Jason came within three points of winning. Like, we don't need to close that big of a gap anymore, uh, which is great. But like what I'm talking about here is like people don't like that corruption. What they want to do is claw back power from corrupt people. We've been doing it at the ballot box through ballot initiatives for a while now. Uh, I don't need to go into those. But like people here, they feel like they got no power. They feel like massive corporations are stripping our state for parts and they want justice, man. People here want justice. And to talk about wokeness, like I'm telling you right now, if people here were losing their money and he was talking about wokeness, they would be losing their minds. And uh, and that's where we're at. I thought it was very uh, manly and populist after the election when Josh Hawley said, oh, duh, the election's being stolen. You got to overthrow the government. And then when people actually started listening to them and attempted to do just that, he said, ah, and, and ran away. That was very, very populist. Yeah, he skittered out the back door. Josh Hawley. Again, the dude's a, he's a fraud and a coward. People here know that. And uh, and everything he does just just <laughs> shows it over and over again. And so this banking thing is just another good example and, uh, and, you know, some people need to know about. Thank you for listening to this sample of the Insurgents podcast. To hear the rest of this episode and for more bonus content, please subscribe at theinsurgents.substack.com.